Like, do they have really strong vocabularies? Do they form really complex sentences when they speak or when they write? Do they have like big creative imaginations? Um, do they learn really quickly? Do they um, think outside of the box? Like they can come up with solutions that aren't expected or other, you know, their peers aren't coming up with. Do they have unique ideas? Hello and welcome to NCAGT's first ever podcast. We're your host, Hannah Park. And Catherine Caldwell. As educators, we feel it's our responsibility to reach all students that walk through our door. However, we realize that every year there are children in our classroom that we feel are put on the back burner because we lack the resources, knowledge, and support to provide for them everything that they need and rightfully deserve. Often these learners are eventually referred to as being gifted, but the problem with that is there's no universal definition of what it means to be gifted, which leads to a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of inconsistencies. So knowing that we're not the only educators who feel this way, we've decided to work in tandem with NCAGT to interview entrepreneurs, community leaders, stakeholders, and experts throughout the field of gifted education to uncover the truth about what it truly means to be gifted, spread awareness, and hopefully be an instrument of change. This podcast is for anyone who is seeking to learn more about gifted education, parents, educators, and learners from all walks of life. Our organization is committed to being an instrument of change. Julie Church was born and raised in Asheboro and moved to Onslow County in 2017. She graduated from East Carolina University in 2013 with a bachelor's degree in elementary education and in 2015 with a master's degree in child development and family relations. During her time studying in college, she had the opportunity to study abroad in New Zealand and Australia. Julie received her AIG licensure from UNCW in 2019 and her curriculum instructional specialist certification in May of 2021. She's currently working towards a master's degree in counselor education at ECU to become a school counselor and a licensed clinical mental health counselor. This will be Julie's eighth year in education and outside of the classroom, she enjoys making shirts and decals with her cricket, running, reading, going to the beach, and of course, playing with her two pups, Gunner and Bruce. Let's hear from Julie. Julie Church, welcome to NCAGT's first ever podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, so I was looking through your bio and I saw that you are getting your master's in counseling education. And I just thought that's so awesome. What inspired you to pursue that? Um, okay, a couple of things actually. So the social emotional piece of gifted is a really big thing that we focus on in my district. And I wasn't ever really, before I became a gifted teacher, I really wasn't aware that gifted kids have their own set of social and emotional issues associated with being gifted. But also I am in a very transient community in Onslow County. We're close to Camp Lejeune. So we have a lot of very associated kids and that in itself has a whole other set of social emotional issues. And then on top of just like everyday 
issues with kids. So this opportunity came up where my district um, offered to pay for half of the degree. And I just happened to be one of six people that got selected for it. So um, that's awesome. I'm really, I'm really passionate about um, social emotional issues because I struggle with that myself. Um, I've had some traumatic issues um, in my life. And so I went to therapy as a kid. I had a counselor. I've had a counselor as an adult and it has seriously changed my life. And I feel like because I already have like unique understandings about social emotional issues with kids. Um, I felt really led to kind of go in that direction as well. And so that's where we are. That's, that's beautiful. Awesome. That's, gonna, yeah. that's just going to give you such a good connection and, and help kids know that you, you understand, like you get what they're feeling. Right. It's beautiful. I'm so passionate about mental health just because like uh, people are crazy and crazy people make kids crazy. And I feel like if people just are equipped to listen and to help and help other people not feel alone, that'll maybe help people be less crazy. So yes. make the world better. <laughs> exactly. So also in your bio, we saw that you had the chance to study abroad in New Zealand and Australia. Tell us about that. So I, um, it's funny because when I was an undergrad, I knew my whole life I wanted to be a teacher. And in undergrad, I had an internship placement at a very challenging school. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. This is rough. <laughs> like, and I didn't know really like, you know, all the responsibilities that went along with being a teacher. So I was like, this is not for me. So I went straight to grad school. I knew I wanted to work with kids. Um, so while I was in grad school, um, one of the professors in my department was putting on this first ever um, study abroad trip to New Zealand and Australia. It's now been done every year since 2014. So now it's an annual trip, but I was part of the first class that got to go. And um, my department was connected with Child Life, which is um, the people that like the play therapists in hospitals for sick children mm -hmm. uh, mixed with child development. So we went to some schools and early childhood centers and hospitals and got to be around Australian and um, New Zealand kids. And you know, they, they also have a, like an Aboriginal culture there too, which we got to explore that a lot as well and see kind of the different way, different and similar ways that they do things over there. And I knew after I left that teaching was exactly what I needed to do. So not only did I get to like hang out with kangaroos and uh, koalas and go snorkeling at the Great Barrier Reef, but I also like rekindled my love for education while I was there awesome so so it was it was the whole the whole story is just so cool I had a blast I wasn't there very long um it was a couple weeks or th a few weeks um we went in May which was their the start of their winter so it was it was it was strange because we we're getting ready for summer and I was like you know I knew the weather would be different there but you know, everybody there, we're starting to get out shorts and tank tops in May and they're starting to get out, you know, their big coats and stuff. So yeah. I feel like anyone cool. who's ever studied abroad has just always said like, it's never lasted long enough. Like it's never, never enough time there. If I could go back, I would, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. When did you say that you went like at what point in your life did you get to go? It was um, the summer in between my two years of grad school. 
Um, it was the summer. Well, it was May, but it was considered summer for college classes. Um, 2014. Okay. Very cool. Because our, our next question is what brought you into the world of education? So I just feel like that kind of goes along with that. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. I, I just, when I was a kid, I would put all my stuffed animals in a row and I would teach them how to do my homework. So I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and then, like I said, I had that rough placement in college and, um, you know, thankfully I was given the opportunity to study abroad and, um, I don't know what I would have done otherwise. I don't know where I would be if I hadn't done that, but that really is what sparked my love back for education. I love that. Well, cause just as teeth, like you experienced burnout as a teacher and like, it's very awesome to be able to have experiences that remind you of why you first got into it. And I think that'd be so cool if counties did like a study, you know, like study abroad opportunities for teachers that are actually, you know, like seven, 10 years deep in their career and to go and explore like I don't know, teaching around the world and seeing what we can bring back. And like that to me is cultural awareness. You know, that would be. Absolutely. I'd go if, we some, if we could get some funding to support that, I know so many teachers that would be willing to do that. Just seeing like how things are done in different environments is so cool. We went to this one, um, it was a, an, a child, early childhood facility. So this is going to be like birth through kindergarten age students. And the whole entire facility is like a free-for-all. The kids can come in and out whenever they want. They can go to art whenever they want. They can go play outside. They can, They had like a building station where they had like nails and hammers and like all kinds of things that you would consider dangerous. But the kids were over there like by themselves, no supervision, like being safe. You know, they had goggles on and they were able to like hammer nails in a little piece of wood. Um, there were swings and like a playground. There was a, you know, a little book nook and there was a math teacher and they just got to do whatever they wanted. And it was just so cool because you could see not only kids going to what interested them, but also like what interested their friends. Yeah. So like their friends like, oh, I want to go do this. And they'd be like, okay, let's go, you know. Try something new. Right. And I was thinking the whole time, because I was like in this construction area thinking, I can't believe they have hammers out here. (laughs) But they were all playing very appropriately. It was just, it was mind boggling. That's awesome. Yeah. That would be amazing to see. Um, Okay. So whenever you attempt to explain your life's work to just maybe like the average person, someone who's maybe not in the world of education, let alone gifted education, how do you help people understand what it means to identify or be labeled as gifted? So it's funny because people, when you say, people ask me what grade I teach and I'm, I always say I'm a gifted specialist. Because it's only called AIG in North Carolina. So nobody, I feel like people don't know what that means. So I say I'm a gifted specialist and it's like their brain automatically thinks I'm talking about special education. So then I explain, I work with the students who are advanced above grade level and have um, the ability to learn quickly or have unique interests in a particular area. Um, But essentially the kids that are considered advanced um, compared to their peers. Mm beautiful that's short and sweet and to the point yeah, yeah. That's a great and definitely easy to understand um 
So when you share with people in your life that once again, like aren't living and breathing in this world of education, how do you explain to them what NCAGT is and the significance of that organization? So I just explained that um, NCAGT is a nonprofit organization that supports gifted and talented students, teachers, parents um, by um, supporting through certain initiatives or professional developments or resources, the conference, but essentially it's just a supportive organization for this particular population of people, um, not just students, but it's for teachers, parents, um, colleges, everything. Um, but it's basically just a supportive entity in that. Mm -hmm. I, I see I recorded your biography earlier and I don't think I mentioned that you are on the board for NCAGT. How long have you been with the organization? This is my first year in my first term. Um, okay. So during my so my direct supervisor is also on the board, uh, Dr. Elder, and he had sent out to our team whenever this was pre-COVID um, when board nominations were open and I had been talking with him about having some leadership opportunities. You know, I'm all about that. And he sent that to me and thought and told me that he thought I would be great for it. So I applied, I wrote a whole narrative, I got a recommendation. Um, and then that year, because of COVID, they decided to um, extend everybody's term one more year because, you know, the world was going nuts. Mm -hmm. So they, I, I got voted on the next year because they just kept my application. And so, um, but yeah, this is my first year. I think my term is 22 to 24. So. That is awesome. Um, yeah. This is also my first year too. I know that in, when I was doing undergrad things in college, um, I went to the conference several times and mm -hmm. I'm sure you went to the conference as a, a G yeah. teacher and with elder on the board. I'm sure he was pushing yes. that, you know, for your County. Um, oh, yeah. So I did a lot of that in undergrad, but I had never even thought about joining the board. It's, all of this is just so new to me. So, but it's exciting. It's fun. Um, so what does a day in the life of Julie, the gifted specialist look like? Like how many children do you service a day? What age range? So I, um, I work at two different schools in Onslow County. Um, so my schedule is very it's cool because it's I'm very flexible. I get to make my own schedule. I get to decide when I go where. Um, in our district, we have, um, we call it win time, what I need. And it's just a time during the day for pullouts and interventions and all of that. So my schedule is pretty much based around that because that's when I pull kids. But I pull groups from kindergarten through fifth grade, um, every grade level. So I have at each school, I would say roughly, you know, 50 kids on my caseload. They're not all identified gifted. I still, uh, we have in our district, we are very service over identification. Um, whereas, you know, we don't, may not have as many kids identified, but we still have those kids that need that advanced learning. And so I have a pretty even mix of identified and not identified kids that come to my class. Um, K2, we don't identify. Third grade's not identified right now. Um, and my fourth and fifth grade groups have just been growing like crazy. So, um, but I serve, my classes are pretty much back to back all day. I have a little bit of time in the morning for planning copies and all that stuff, paperwork, 
meeting with parents or whatever. And then it's back to back first grade, kindergarten, second grade, uh, fifth grade, third grade, fourth grade, back to back. So I have one entire day dedicated to math instruction and then another day dedicated to reading instruction. So what what I teach in those classes is very dependent on what's going on in the regular classroom. I try to um, I try to let whatever I'm teaching be relevant to what they're learning in there. So that's a lot of planning. It is. It's a lot. (laughs) But I like to consider myself like a fun teacher. Um, I do have very high expectations and I am pretty strict, but my kids know that they know when it's time to like be silly and have fun. And like when I mean business and because they know me and they know my personality, they, they work so hard for me. And especially the, this, one of the schools I'm at, um, I've been at, it's my fourth year there. And so I've worked with the same kids, you know, for that long. So, um, it's just really cool to see them grow over time. I think I went off on a tangent, but yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, okay. It's beautiful. Awesome. I was, I was just thinking, passionate. yeah, I was just thinking, I love that those kids that are in K1 and 2 are being met with like that. Yes. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Yes. The way that I, every specialist in my district kind of does their program a little bit differently. Um, I run my program based on, um, data that I can obtain, like, uh, was like I ready or um, like in class data if I can access that or I also allow teachers to make recommendations for kids to come to my class um, and that way my my door is a little bit fluid so my groups change and I tell teachers all the time if you have somebody you want to add just send them I'll I'll serve whoever because I'm a firm believer that everybody deserves the opportunity to be challenged um, some kids, it's not right for them at that particular time. Some kids need even more than what I give them. So I'm very service over identification mindset. And I just, I love that. Um, like the teachers in my school, they just know that I'm flexible and it just, it works well for our, our school. Awesome. That's great. That reminded me of, um, like, so currently where we are in the year, you know, this is a time where we're starting to, at my school, they do some enrichment groups in third grade. Um, and you know, we've had the conversation about the students and the data they're looking at to pull those groups. And, um, but we, and we've been told as well, like, you know, if you have any students that you think would benefit from this, let us know. And I feel like the conversation we had with Rick in the last episode really kind of opened my eyes to, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what really to look for as much as I thought I did. And I feel like the stereotype of what a gifted kid is, is what I was always looking for. And just his information about how, like, you know, these gen ed teachers and all teachers need to have a little bit of training and what to look for. And I was just sitting here, like talking with a, you know, colleague today about like, we don't know what we're looking for. Like we think we're trying, we're doing our best to identify those kids that don't make a certain score, but like we need that. We need that training. So that's a really important point because there are a lot of gifted or just even highly advanced kids that are just underachievers. And that could be just the mindset of they don't want to challenge themselves because there's that potential for failure 
Um, maybe they're super bored. Maybe they have something really traumatic or crazy going on in their life where school is just not important. Um, and so I always like to train my teachers and tell them it is grades, it is achievement, but it's not just that. There's a lot of characteristics in kids that demonstrate they have that potential for giftedness or even just being an advanced learner that goes beyond grades. And that's going to be, you know, listen to the way they talk. Like, do they have really strong vocabularies? Do they form really complex sentences when they speak or when they write? Do they have like big creative imaginations? Um, do they learn really quickly? Do they um, think outside of the box? Like they can come up with solutions that aren't expected or other, you know, their peers aren't coming up with. Do they have unique ideas? Yeah. And so it, it really just boils down to teachers knowing their students. That makes so, me think of like those students who like when you're teaching, like get stuff that everyone else didn't get or like they, you know, right. like understand or make a connection. You're like, geez, I didn't think about that. Like that's or really you crack a joke and the kid gets it. And you're like, I'm yes. serious. <laughs> sarcasm I like it yeah <laughs> uh -huh. um so that kind of leads into our next um question was about how your county um or school screens assesses and identifies um students for AIG placement so um it's complicated <laughs> um so third grade we do a sweep screen this is kind of new for our district um, but we give every third grader the cognitive abilities test. And from there, we take teacher recommendations and um, we ha also have a cut score um, to see, you know, if they score, I don't know the cut score for the, for that one off the top of my head, but um, I want to say like 85th percentile, we'll invite them to take the Iowa test, which is the achievement test. Um, and ultimately for placement, we're looking for 92nd percentile or higher. Now we have a little bit of flexibility in that, um, especially with fourth and fifth grade. So we do fourth and fifth grade testing twice a year in the fall and one in the fall, one in the spring. Um, and they take the cognitive abilities test and they take the um, Iowa assessments. And so the Iowa assessment, we just do math and reading, the cognitive abilities test, they take the whole thing. We're looking for 92nd percentile or higher. Um, you know, and automatic placement would be 97th percentile or higher on any level of the COGAT um, or 92nd percentile or higher in the same test on the COGAT in the Iowa. So like the verbal and reading would be 92nd percentile or quantitative and math would be 92nd percentile. However, sometimes you have kids that don't perform well on one, but they perform really well on the other. So we have a couple other options. We use um, the integrate test as an achievement criteria. We can build a portfolio. We use the Rensselaer scales. We use the HOPE scales. Basically any kind of data you can gather on a kid, mm -hmm. we gather it. So, <laughs> so it's not just you're reliant upon one test, one score, make or break. So it, is, it is comprehensive. And we do all that we can to try to place kids. Um, you know, I've got, I just finished testing at my schools. I'm working on analyzing data right now. And I've got a couple kids that, you know, did really well in one area, not so much on the other area. So I'm in the process of gathering more data, looking through their cumulative folders and 
seeing what other kinds of trends that they have. Have they been above grade level? Have they been making A's and B's and, you know, their whole time that they've, you know, been in school? We look at everything. Um, it's, it's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> it's time consuming, but it's great because it really lends itself to opening the program for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Very inclusive. In so fact, I just placed a kid at one of my schools, um, who is EC. So he's now, that's my first ever twice exceptional I kid. And I could not run to his special ed teacher fast enough. To yes, show look at I wish they I wish the listeners could see the smile on your face right now. I know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. So once these students are identified, a lot of times they're given a DEP, a differentiated education plan, or some people call it a GIEP, gifted individualized education plan. Right. What should parents expect these plans to look like? So our plans in Onslow County show the area in which they're identified. Um, and we have specific codes for math reading or both or nonverbal or whatever. Um, it out, it details how services will be provided. If it's push in, pull out, consultative, how services will be rendered. So basically will we have, um, modified assignments, um, I can't remember everything that's on the list, but basically like what will we do to differentiate content? And then we also have a section for grouping. How are they grouped? And so are they in a class, are they grouped in their class like uh, with other peers? Meaning there's a mixture of gifted kids in every class or are all the gifted kids clustered together? Do they ability group when they switch classes? Um, and, and that just depends on how the school operates. I have one school that um, they team teach, they ability group and team teach, and then I have one that's self-contained. So it just depends on the school environment. And then we have a place, and this is actually new for our plan this year, where the kids, every year they write a goal that they want to accomplish. Um, And that goes on the DEP. And then we get a signature, I sign it, the, or the specialist signs it, the teacher signs it, and the parent signs it. And we revisit that every year. Well, I was going to ask you like if the regular ed teachers are involved, but I didn't even think to ask if the students themselves are involved. And it very much so sounds like they are if they're adding their own goals. Yeah. And like I said, that's a new, that's a new piece to our, we just renewed our plan and that was a new thing. They already rate themselves on motivation um, and different, we have gifted goals and they rate themselves on that, but we've kind of incorporated that into the DEP so that they have a new goal every year. So, you know, maybe it's they want A's and B's. Maybe they want um, to learn more about this topic or that topic or whatever. Um, but they get to choose what it is that they want to do. I, think I love so- that so many stakeholders are involved in these plans. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, all right. So this is something I really um, enjoy asking about is student profiles. Um, so we're just asking if you have any of those to share, just because like we've talked about, sometimes it's hard for the untrained eye to know that a student is gifted. Um, so I didn't know if you had any gifted student profiles to share. What do you mean by that? (laughs) So, um, Rick gave, he gave two examples and it's kind of basically thinking of the kids that you have in your class now, obviously we don't use names or anything like that. Right. 
but he thought of like two kids that stood out in such different ways because it was a mis- it's often a misconception that gifted children are like the social outcast and just like the right. nerdy Shelton Cooper type of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, instead, okay. he provided the example of this kid who, you know, was athlete, everybody wanted to be his friend, yada, yada, yada. Okay, okay. I've got a couple kids in mind. All right, so I have... um uh, so one of the schools that I'm at, I've been at for four years. The other one is brand new, just opened for the first time ever this year. Um, and so I have this little girl in fifth grade um, and she is like the coolest, most confident kid. She has the best sarcasm. She is knowledgeable about like anything and everything. Um, she was talking to me today about how, um, she's going to be going to the ball with her dad. He's getting ready to retire from the Marine Corps. And she was talking about her dress and like how she's got these flowers she's going to wear. Um, then she, she's always talking about sports and, um, like all these things that she's involved in. And she just, the level of maturity, like she just carries on a conversation, like, like just, you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I mean, it is, she's so mature for her age. If you talk to her without looking at her, you would probably think she was in high school yeah. because she's just so mature. Um, and she is super, super, super bright. I mean, she, if she doesn't understand something, she can just like, she just has these strategies that she uses to just make things click. I don't know. I'm just so intrigued by her. She is so cool. Then I have another kid the kid that I was talking about earlier that is twice exceptional who he was never on my radar so he's part of uh we have a Spanish immersion program and a lot of times I don't get to go in their classrooms that often because it's like a second through fifth grade in one classroom it's like a whole thing and this little kid always he carries around like a stuffed shark as like a comfort animal thing and I just that to me screamed immaturity Um, but this kid's like a human calculator. Okay. I mean, it is mind boggling. I was teaching them. He's in fifth grade. We were working on number systems. Okay. And I taught them hexadecimal, which is a base 16 number system. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, so, you know, our numbers, we use base 10. When you look at numbers, you know, when to regroup all that. So base 16 goes, all, you don't regroup until after 15. And so it uses um, one numerals zero through nine and then A, B, C, D, E, F. Okay. And so I know it's so confusing, <laughs> but I had them, I gave them this long number. Okay. It was like five digits in hexadecimal, which is like in the 10 millions in base 10. And this kid was just like, I thought he was like staring off into space. He's calculating this to translate it from base 16 to base 10 in his head and got it right. I Googled it to make sure it was right. And it was like, this kid is amazing. Like, I'm so glad that he had teachers that knew him well enough to recommend him for testing because his data isn't great. I mean, but he's incredible. (laughs) Wow. Love that. I love, I think it's so important to kind of like shine a spotlight on those kids that just because you are in EC or have been identified as EC, like doesn't mean that you cannot also be gifted. I know Mm -hmm. I was 
so excited when he placed. That I was mean, a beautiful example of a student profile. You nailed that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's say that I am a parent who knows that my child is absolutely gifted, but they're just not performing on these tests. They just aren't connecting with their teachers at school because they're in third grade and they just haven't had great teachers every year, in my opinion. What would be my next step as this parent? Um, so I would recommend reaching out to the child's teacher, um, and the gifted specialist because the child's teacher is going to know how they perform on a day-to-day basis, but the gifted teacher is going to have more insight into what kinds of qualities or characteristics are indicative of giftedness. And so if the teacher and the gifted specialist are both kind of collaborating on that, then we can determine if that's accurate. So how I would pursue that is I would want to talk to this kid by myself. I would want to pull them one-on-one, observe them in class for one, but I would want to pull them one-on-one and kind of see what their interests are, uh, what they're good at, what they find challenging, what they find interesting. Um, And I would want to try to get to know them. I've actually, I actually have experienced this many times, but I would want to get my own understanding and knowledge of that kid in order to make some kind of determination, because there are a lot of parents who really do think their kids are gifted that aren't, but there's a lot of kids that know their kids, a lot of parents that know their kids really well and know that there is something special about them. Mm -hmm. And it really just boils down to someone having the ability to invest time in them to bring it out. So it's so, absolutely reasonable for parents to request observations be done in one-on-one meetings with the gifted specialist teacher. Like that's not an unreasonable request for a parent. I don't think that's unreasonable, but I do think a parent should be understanding of the caseload that a teacher has and a gifted specialist. I do serve sixth grade levels at two schools and I have a lot of kids and a lot of parents and teachers that I work with. I would encourage a parent to reach out and see if that is possible. I don't know about like demanding that, but requesting like, hey, I would I would really just like to know what you think. And being respectful um, and yes. understanding that there's gonna, you know, it, it can't happen right now. We'll happen today. Right. But a respectful right. timeline is doable. Yes. This is actually this so funny that you say that because that reminds me that I actually have a kid that I have to do this with. Well, he already comes to my class, but I told her I'd work with him a little bit more and give her, she wants like a narrative. Well, you better grab a sticky note and write this down. I know, I know. It's going to be gone. Right. So I don't think it's, I don't ever want to deny a kid the opportunity. I just don't believe in that. So I think if a parent wants that for their kid and they're advocating for their kid, why not? Like, reach out and see who's available to help and what options there are. Because like I said, my program, I serve a lot of kids that are not identified, but they perform well in my class and they work towards that challenge and it benefits them. I have an, I have a kid who um, I've tested him twice and he has not qualified either time, but I have served him. This is the fourth year that I've served him and he does so well in my class. And I just, I don't, he's not qualifying under the testing. He has no qualifying scores anywhere, but the way that he works and his just 
the eagerness he has to learn and be challenged, why would I not pull him? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's beautiful that you have that opportunity to do that. For Especially sure. when he's not showing it on like all these assessments and things and placements, but that yeah. you believe that he can and he's actually doing it and successful in your class. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Um, so um, our next question is about uh, in many counties across North Carolina, the services for K-3 gifted students are limited to none, but it's so great to hear that you're getting to meet with those kids. So is there anything else you wanted to add um, about how that looks in your district? So our gifted plan does indicate that we have nurturing groups for K-2. Um, we serve third grade anyway, so we, well, we start out with nurturing groups in third grade, um, but for K-2 specifically, um, it, it honestly looks different at every school. It depends on the school and the specialist and the principals. I have a colleague who for kindergarten and first grade, she pushes into the classroom. Like she does whole group lessons with each class. Um, and we have a couple cool curriculums that work really well for that. And so she'll push into the whole class. And then later on in the semester, she'll start pulling individual students. Or based on what she's seen with the pushing yes. okay now for me i know that a lot of teachers just don't know what to do with especially in k2 they don't know what to do with their really really smart kids like if they have a kindergartner who's reading the clock and telling them they're two minutes late on their read aloud like they're like i don't know what to do with this kid <laughs> um, and so I really prefer personally, I like the pullout model because it's a more challenging environment and it's a unique environment. Like they know that they're coming to my class to do hard things and they look forward to that. And I don't want to walk into a classroom, you know, with a kid who isn't really ready for what I'm going to be teaching. I don't, I don't know that I would want to intimidate them, mm. but that's why I tell my teachers, my groups are flexible send whoever. In fact, today, third grade, I had two kids I never saw before. <laughs> the teacher sent them. She had, you know, told me last week that she had a couple other people in mind, but I just like, I think the, the fluidity and the flexibility of grouping in K2 is very important because some kids do really well on certain things, not well on other things, or they're great in this subject and not that subject. And I like the flexibility that I have of the pullout group. That's beautiful. Yeah, and especially like with kindergarten kids are just getting used to going to school, you know, some of them right. never even so there's I just feel like they're they're developing so rapidly at that age with just like their social right. emotional skills and and all of that good stuff. So there's so much at play when kids are are that young. But I love that you're giving everyone an equal opportunity to spend right. time with a gifted teacher and then they're using their expertise because gen ed teachers don't have that expertise. Right. I think in certain counties throughout North Carolina, K one and two get absolutely nothing, nothing yeah. for, and it's, and then by the time these gifted children get to third grade, they're done. They're out They're They've got behavior plans and they're just, they don't yeah. because they have been challenged for three years. Right. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I just, like I said, I like to err on service over identification. So mm -hmm. I think I like that. I think that having 
flexibility and having the ability to serve them is great. And like I said, my classes look a little bit different. You know, K2, I have a lot less students. I try to cap my groups around 10 just because I don't, I don't want it to be so big that I can't manage it. Um, and I also don't want teachers to, you know, give me kids that aren't, it's not really benefiting them. I can tell pretty quickly if it's like the right fit for them or not. And something, uh, something that goes into play with that too, is whenever teachers kind of just like thrust children into programs that really takes away from the kids that need to be being serviced by the gifted specialist. So I think that that's something that I've kind of struggled with in the past, or I've seen AIG teachers struggle with is me not knowing if kids should go or not. And I've been told by the gifted teacher, you know, this isn't working because it's like, it's slowing down the group, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. So what would you say is some of the greatest challenges that you face as a gifted specialist? Because I have to work at two schools. I definitely feel like I don't get enough time. I don't, I don't feel like I have enough time to give the kids and their teachers what they need. I wish that I had one school where I could dedicate to pulling kids, but then also like having enough time to work with teachers because, you know, I'm not at every school every day. So my time is very limited and I do have classes back to back. So it is hard for me to get to teacher PLCs. It's hard for me to get to planning meetings and things like that to work directly with teachers. Um, Sometimes scheduling, you know, meeting with parents about their kids is very difficult too. So timing is definitely one of the biggest challenges. But another thing too is a lot of people assume that because they're gifted, that they know everything, that they learn everything and that, you know, they're not challenged. But even in my class, I have a diverse range of abilities. I have kids that are highly, highly, highly gifted. And then I have kids that it's like really questionable if they should even be in my class. So navigating that in itself like keeping everybody on track and helping kids not move ahead and other kids not fall behind. Managing that is also a challenge. Just, I guess for myself, I didn't expect to have a range of abilities in my high ability group, group, you know, Yeah. but, but there are, and then you have sometimes those kids get a very like I'm better than you attitude because I get to go to AIG they like elitism Um, yeah and so I have to be really careful about how I explain why they're in my class you're not here because you're better than anybody you're here because you need an additional challenge to help your brain continue to grow Mm. and so I have to and I have to start that really young because like for example I had a kindergarten group today And I told them, I was like, we're doing first grade math today because I like them to feel proud of themselves. Like, you know, you're doing something that's harder than what your peers are doing because you're able to. Yeah, I I like them to feel pride in that. But as soon as I took them back to class, they ran in the class saying, we did first grade math, which I'm glad that they're excited about it. But then I also like, I don't want them to do that and make other kids feel bad about themselves because they're not doing first grade math. Yeah, it's a fine line. It's hard. It is. It's very hard, but you just, they're, I mean, they're kids. You got to teach them how to be proud, but not be rude about it. Mm-hmm. Be mm-hmm. Humble. we I'm reading Charlotte's web with one of my classes right now. We talked a lot about the word of being humble today. 
And a lot of these kiddos are gifted. And I'm like, we really need to talk about this. So Julie, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Like, what's the best way for people to reach you? Um, just my email, send me an email, um, jchurch at ncagt.org. I'm a tech nerd. So like, I'm one of those people, I don't have any balloons on any of my apps. Like I clear them out. (laughs) So I get an email, I'm going to read it and I'm going to respond to it. Um, and I love, I love working with teachers. I know I talked a lot about working with kids, but I also really, really love working with teachers because I was that teacher. The only reason I got my gifted certification is because, well, the district paid for it for one. And for two, I just didn't know what to do with them. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, go do some more problems, I guess, or read a book, you know? Yeah. And, and it's a hard place to be because you have that teacher heart where you want to help right. all of your students. But we've talked so much about how like, that's just not the focus. Focus isn't on the gifted students. Right but you want to help them. You want to push them. Right. So I really like to work with teachers and I actually have a couple um, teachers in my district that are in the AIG cohort right now at UNCW that asked me to be their mentor. And it makes Aww. me feel so special. <laughs> so um, I, any, especially teachers, even parents, like I can teach you how to talk to, uh, how to talk about your gifted kid that, you know, that is gifted or that you believe is gifted or that didn't qualify for gifted or whatever. I love all the whole realm of gifted. And I love that I'm the only person at my school with my job because like, I am the expert. I am the expert. And it just, it it just feels cool to like have that very unique knowledge to share with people. Yeah. And, And it's really, differentiating for gifted kids in the regular classroom like really is a lot easier than you think it is but you just need somebody to show you that well it sounds like one thing that you could speak to is for those general education teachers out there who are kind of struggling to reach the gifted learners in their classroom what advice like or quick tips would you give them to reach those children first and foremost I always tell teachers Whatever standard you're teaching in your grade level, look at that same standard in the next grade level and challenge them with that. Mm. Um, for, for reading prod, for reading standards, that's a little more difficult because you do have to find more complicated text. But book clubs, kids love book clubs. Okay, they like being in control and being in charge. Give them a book club. Give them a project that's deeper than what you're learning. If you're learning about the moon and the solar system, like give them some bigger project. I had a kid one time that begged me to do a project on black holes. I was like, dude, go for it. He made this giant poster and was like, can I please present this? I'm like, Heck yeah, dude, go for it. I love this. And the kids were intrigued too. So independent projects, looking um, subject acceleration. So look at that standard in the next grade level. It'll tell you exactly how that one standard progresses. Um, and then um, any, any kind of collaborative type activity that you can give, you can, you can get them for free online all over the place. Oh, also choice boards. Mm. Choice boards are amazing. Give them a tic-tac-toe board and say, you got to make tic-tac-toe. And those you can find free online all day for your standard. 
That's awesome. I love that. That's beautiful. So helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we want to talk about the divide that the term giftedness causes and how sometimes it can lead to misconceptions and even prevent students from being identified because they don't check like those preconceived boxes. Right. Um, So would you agree that the term gifted is problematic? I I think it can be because in my opinion, true giftedness is just a unique ability that you have. But I still feel like kids who just have advanced learning abilities, I feel like they still fall into that category. Like I'm, I'm thinking about this one kid that I've been serving for four years who has not mm. passed any of these tests, but performs so well in my class, so well. And I don't know. I find myself sometimes erring on the side of not using the term gifted and going more towards the word advanced. Hmm. Um, But I am a little torn on that because I think giftedness is something that should be talked about and should be, people should have pride in, but I can see where it can also be exclusive. Mm. Yeah. And then, so you said advanced. So that was my last question was if you could rename what gifted is would you call it something different? I just, I don't know. I really, I really like the term advanced. I feel like it is, it's specific yet broad enough to include the population of kids that we serve. And then it leaves it on like a spectrum as well, you know? Right. Right. Because like I said before, I have, I have, the kids in my class have varying abilities. I mean, varying personalities, abilities. And, and the thing too is, the thing that I like about gifted though, is that, you know, while in education, we don't, at least in my district, we only serve math and reading. Um, you might have a kid that's gifted in piano or guitar or something else. So I don't want to find, right. I don't want to take away from, you know, any other outside, like non-academic ability, but at the same time, I mean, I guess you would, I would still consider that advanced. I like that word. I like it. Yeah, it's a beautiful answer. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Well, Julie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.